and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Josh Lloyd is in the building to talk about something that many fans over the years have asked me for. Many people just continue to come to me, you know, in emails, in the Twitter DMs, wherever, and ask, can you do something about fantasy basketball? Can you, like, do you play fantasy basketball? Is there something that, you know, maybe you could, like, give some takes on, like, drafts and things like that. And frankly, I don't play fantasy basketball. I just don't like have a great sense of it. I like, I can probably talk through basketball, fantasy basketball in a real way as Josh and I will do here momentarily, but I know Josh Lloyd. So why would I explain fantasy basketball in 2023, 24 when I can just have Josh come on and explain fantasy basketball in 2023, 24 Josh, what's going on, buddy? Sam, it, uh, it's good to be here with you. It's good to be chatting to you. And uh, I just say that, like, yeah, I listen to to your podcast and always have it. Yeah, as people do have the speed cranked up. You sound just as fast when we're doing it at normal time <laughs> of the intro. So, I, man, I, I don't know how that's possible. But most other people, you hear their podcast. Like, we've spoken we've spoken in real life before. But you hear yeah, them yeah. on their podcast and you hear them and they're like, man, why are, you, why are you talking so slow? You, same pace the whole way through. No matter what speed it is, it's the same way, yeah. which I love because I do the same thing. Yeah, I just talk fast. We get a lot of words yeah. in on this podcast. Yeah, that's the goal. Exactly. The, yep. the goal is to just battle through the information and just make sure people have it. So what I want to talk about today on the show is basically, A, just like I want to have Josh just like give a pitch for why people should play fantasy basketball and the differences between rules between the different sets of fantasy basketball from roto to head-to-head to points and being able to explain how to draft differently based on the leagues now there are different things like best ball entering the fray uh within fantasy basketball which uh is really really important i think that best ball is probably gonna be like a really really essential piece of fantasy basketball moving forward just given how uh important and you know high level and high profile it seems like it's getting in fantasy football especially uh most of my experience in fantasy sports comes from fantasy football you know like i consume a lot of fantasy football content shout out the guys over at underdog uh josh norris hayden winks all those guys i think they do a really really great job uh and I want to just kind of run through some of the things that Josh looks for. I think that the first thing I want to talk about is just what Josh and Hayden do really, really well on underdog. And what I think you also do well on your channel is you explain basketball, real basketball really, really well. And you just apply that to a fantasy lens. Like you are somebody that can actually talk about basketball at a high level. You obviously have your own projections. You have, you know, shout out basketball monster. It's a fantastic website, but like you are able to actually explain what you're looking at on the basketball court. In addition to having the projections, how important is the tape piece for you when trying to figure out fantasy basketball projections in the guys that you think can exceed or, uh, go below your level of expectation of where you're going to draft them. I think that's with most things, Sam, it's a mix between a bunch of stuff. So you can't just get by by looking at someone's numbers the, the whole time because people then you get fall into that trap. Go, well, look at this guy. He did this in these minutes. And if you make that as a starter, then he's going to dominate. And why is this coach not doing this? You go, yeah, but watch what he does on the court and the selfishness or the lack of ball movement or the poor shots that on two games in a row went in, but 
is that actually likely to happen as we move forward? And just trying to figure out like how the things are coming. Are they coming easily? Are things being run for that person? Are they in the right position and things just aren't falling? And watching that sort of stuff or seeing how a coach uses them, how quick a hook does that player have? Like, for example, someone like Keegan Murray last season, right? You see some of his numbers, and the numbers will get bandied about all the time. Like he broke the re- uh, record for most threes in a season by a rookie. That's true. But if he ever started a game going oh four, he'd just get benched and he'd play like twenty minutes in a game. And right. you'd see, you'd be able to see that thing go. Well, there's so much inconsistency in the way that Mike Brown uses him. Not necessarily against Keegan as a thing, but if you're going to try and trust what he does or look at those numbers and use that as your talking point, but there's just so much inconsistency. Or he might go four or four, and then he plays thirty three minutes a night, and the ups and downs of that leads to. Um, you know, when you look at just the overall numbers, you can see what happened, but it doesn't tell you how it got there or how reliable those things are, or was there flukiness involved, or was it all just being set up through yeah, other people, or was he generating himself? What happens when other people are off the court? All that sort of stuff it plays into it. So I try to consume as much as I can watching, but also uh, reading and looking at, at numbers and trying to push that all together. Cause it's not just about, well, this guy does this and watch when he gets more minutes, but because if a coach doesn't believe that it doesn't matter if he's going to be great in 36 minutes, shout out to Chris Boucher. If he never gets onto the court, it just doesn't happen. So in kind of that case, what are the things that you look for in your model in comparison to when you're watching tape? Like w- what are the kind of telltale signs for you? that can say somebody is overperforming your model, someone is underperforming your model. What are some of the kind of signs you're trying to pinpoint? Well, when we're looking at it like during the season sort of a mode, it's really just like, is this person just on an unsustainable run of shooting, either hot or cold? Like, man, look at this guy. He's averaged um, – well, a great example actually is is Cam Thomas last season when you dropped those 40 yep. points in a row, three, you know, th- three games in a row, 40 points, and people were all over that guy. That's great, but – there's six blokes that have got to come back into this rotation and he's not hijacking every possession, but he's doing everything. And that's just not going to be the case later on. He's also doing it shooting like 54% from three. And I don't think he missed a free throw on 30 attempts in a row or something like that. And you go, all right, that's, that's all cool. But there's just no way that any of that stuff has an ability to continue all the way through it. So that's great. It's happening now, but realistically that sort of production it's just impossible to sustain, but we get caught up in it. And I've been really sort of focusing on this a lot when I do it is that we, the way we consume games as well is that you see a highlight get posted, whether it's through ESPN or Bleacher Report or one of the aggregator sites or whatever. And you see these highlights, this is the ball ball phenomenon, basically. And you see these highlights, you go, man, look how good he was. He put up this great line and he had 40 points. And then no one reports the next game when they go five, five points on one of 10 shooting. So you just don't see yeah. that part of it. So looking at, the hot streaks, the cold streaks, um, and how those numbers arrive. How did he score 30 points? Was it because everyone else was injured and he took 30 shots? Was it because he went 10 of 10 in a weird little um, hot streak in garbage time? Like, not all games with the same stats are created equal. It's about how did you get there, and is that actually real to expect that that continues for more than two, three games? Can it go for a week, two weeks, three months, whatever? And that's what I try and preach. And you look stupid in the time when you say, hey, Cam Thomas isn't going to do this, and he drops 40 points the next game. And then in a week's time, he's out of the rotation. You go, that's why. Like, it's just not sustainable with that sort of stuff. Yeah. And this is kind of where the idea of, like, best ball comes into play in an interesting way. Because if somebody like, you know, Chris Boucher, Bull Bull, is able to have these enormous games, the Keegan yeah. Murray ideal where, uh, you know, he – gets benched after missing four shots in the first in one game and then the next game he's coming out and drilling seven threes 
having that variance is really an interesting wrinkle, I think, to fantasy basketball, because I think a big piece of fantasy basketball, as I know it, is trying to reduce that variance as much as humanly possible. Whereas with best ball, you're almost trying to increase the variance, Mm. it feels like, in a real way. So how... As you look across different types of the game, how are you trying to account for variance in that way? It's really interesting you bring that up, Sam, because we hadn't actually spoken about this beforehand. But what I've been doing over the last two, three days in particular, but over the last three months this offseason, is looking at variance and looking at the way things work. Because traditional fantasy basketball is a week-by-week game, right? But we assess things by looking at season averages. And that's great, right? You might average 1.3 blocks. But you can't get 1.3 blocks in a game. And right. two blocks and one block are very different. And that yes. sort of up and down in terms of variance can be – it's great if you just accumulate numbers over a season. But on a three-game week, you might get 10 blocks. And the next week, you might get two blocks. And that's 12 over two weeks with six games. And you've averaged two. But one week was terrible. One week was great. And that yeah. sort of variance is, is key. And I've been doing a lot of, lot of work to try and figure out which stats are the most variable um, day by day and, and game by game and year on year. And there's no surprise it's the, the low volume things that are the most variable on a game by game basis. So when you're trying to look at those things as a measure of consistent production, you're going to generally come up short because it's so – like a block is one play in a 110 possession game, right? That's That's all it is. And one of those or zero of those is a gigantic difference in the scope of whatever you're trying to do. In terms of best ball, which is frustrating for us over here because we can't actually access to play those contests. We can't play underdog I best know, ball. Right? It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's so annoying that I can't do it. And underdogs actually changed yeah. their strategy this season for best ball for basketball, whereas previously it was like the majority of their prize went into the finals weeks, but they've changed it so that the majority of the prize pool now gets given out through the regular season. So mm. you're not looking for as much of that March spike. It's like, what have yeah. you done over the first 19 weeks of the season, which is probably probably better, uh, but it does change yeah. that draft strategy where people are like, well, I need to grab a couple of these rookies who on tanking teams will be playing 30 minutes in on March the 20th. Yeah. But that's not as in, look, there are still prizes now, but the way that they've split it is the majority is going to those first 19, 20 weeks, whatever it is of the season. So you're almost looking at it as more of like, who's going to give me that consistent production through that earlier portion of the season versus um, you know, who's going to be the guy that really hits for me in March. So there's a bit of a change in strategy with that. So the next question I would have for you, the more traditional styles of play within fantasy basketball are Roto, head-to-head, and mm-hmm. a points-based system. Yep. What are the differences that you're looking for between players between each of those systems as you look to draft them? Because obviously they're just very different in terms of the rule sets and you have to know your rule sets within fantasy sports. You do. And with the recent data that I have with it, it's like 60, I think it's 65% of people play in a head to head category format. It's like 30% for points and it's like 5% for roto. So that's generally how it's split out. So the vast Mm. majority of people are playing a week to week sort of a format depends a bit on your scoring system if you are playing in fantasy points but like this default one that you'll see the nba fantasy account tweet out that what fangio will tweet out um that yahoo uses there's no penalties for um missed shots or efficiency so it's just just ramp up your number so a guy like julius randall a guy like Mm. rj barrett sorry to pick on nick's players but guys who get a lot of counting stats with kyle kuzma with relatively subpar efficiency numbers they get a real boost up in comparison, Paulo Banquero, in 
comparison to a traditional category format where their high volume, low or below average percentages penalizes them. So they're the real big differences. All those guys who really thrive on getting high volume defensive stats and good percentages are more valuable in a category format. But in a points league, it doesn't matter that much because a point is worth one point and a block is worth three. So if you average 20 points, well, you've got to average seven blocks to be equivalent in that area. So you just want guys who are generating points, rebounds, assists, usually in a points league, whereas in mm. category leagues, you can spread that production across other categories and attack it from different ways. What is your preference to play? Uh, categories for me, I just find it, it's what I've always played um, you know, for the last you know, 15 years or whatever that I've been playing it. There's a little bit more strategy and variance yeah. in um, uh, ways to go about it and, and to building your team up. It's not just about, well, just give me the guy that's going to score the most fantasy points. There are different ways to do it um, and you can sort of pivot and change your your um, approach and your tactics during a season. It just finds a little bit more strategic in that sense, which yeah, stimulates what I do as well. It gives me more to talk about also. So let's just before we dive into the weeds a little bit on some of the different players that will impact this fantasy season – I do just kind of want to give you the floor. Like I've never really done research on how much of my audience plays fantasy basketball. Mm -hmm. I give a pitch on why you should try fantasy basketball or why you should play it. Cause there's probably no better evangelist for fantasy basketball on the internet than Josh Lloyd. So please. I think well, what's, what's his, I found over the, yeah, however long I've been not even doing this job, but just playing and, and watching sports is the two best ways to get in and learn about a sport or learn more about a sport and the players is video games. Although there can be some like that skews some of your opinion on that and fantasy, because you have to have an understanding of what's happening across every team, across most players, at least say the top 200 players. But if you're like, Oh, I'm going to pick a team and here's my team and I follow them. And then you see that you play the Timberwolves twice a year and you say, you go, what's Anthony? Is this guy actually good? Like you haven't paid any attention to it. But in fantasy, like I can literally tell you all 550 players that are on rosters at the moment and a brief overview of what they do and every skill set and where they came from and age and potential strengths and all that sort of stuff. Like I know that, but the only way to, to know that is to just dive deep and have an understanding of every game. Plus, Sam, we talk about you know big market and big market bias and all that sort of stuff and you know how they get the media coverage. Well, if you're playing fantasy look you actually get to see every team play you have to watch every team play and you get to see yep. more basketball more guys learn about these players so you're not just getting spoon fed well here's what happened with the lakers or here's what happened with the celtics um over and over again like a game between detroit and, and orlando at the start of december is really interesting because what are these guys going to do how can we see these players start to develop and start to grow and when you are trying to learn more about the league as a whole you, if you want to be competitive, and you know, most of us are pretty competitive, you're playing fantasy. You have to go and yeah. you have to you have to watch these things. You have to pay attention to these teams. You can't just say, "I'm going to watch the four teams that I think are going to win the title," because you're going to lose and you're going to get you know annoyed at that in fantasy. You've got to pay attention to everything, and it's a great way of just learning more about the game. I think because you are forced to do it if you want to be good at it. So. Just starting baseline here, Nikola Jokic is like the very obvious number one overall pick in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Can you explain yep. why that is? Because he just does basically bits of everything. He is extremely high efficiency, right? So he's going to have huge field goal percentage and does it at volume. He scores well, not as high as some other players in terms of his points, but he will get huge assists. He'll get 
rebounds. He'll get a couple of steals or he get a steal or get a block, he hit some threes. He basically just contributes in every single category in a in a positive manner and does it on such consistency and such volume that yeah, no one's been really able to be able to get near him over the past couple of years. He just is able to do like having someone as a big man who gets rebounds but also can be top five in assists, who's also a sixty percent plus shooter from the field and also a really good free throw shooter. Uh, those sort of guys just don't exist apart from him. At number two, I've seen like a few different cases kind of floating around. I've mm-hmm. seen Joel Embiid. I've seen Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Depending on your league rules, I've seen Luka Doncic and Giannis, especially if you're playing more like points-based style. Uh, I think I've even seen like an argument for Tyrese Halliburton out there. Can you kind of explain wow. where you're sitting on this and where where you kind of feel like the argument lies right now? I think you you nailed it there because like if you are playing in a points league like you are like Luca has a Luca could probably actually be number one over Don uh, Luca over Jokic could be an argument at number one in a points league because he you know, might score seven or eight actual real points more than what Jokic does per game this season that, that that's possible but that other mix is, is right actually I just did a draft today and I took Halliburton at number two because a guy that can you know, give you eleven assists per game like that gives you such a leg up over a bunch of guys plus talk efficiency he's really efficient from the field his usage actually went up pretty substantially last season he gets good steals he hits threes but any argument between Doncic, Shea, um, Luca, or Halliburton a pick two or an Embiid sorry in that mix I think it's totally reasonable I don't think that there's a clear-cut answer there you could say well yeah, Embiid was number two last season true um, but we're always going to have oh, but, but what if what if he gets hurt even though that hasn't really been the case over the last three years um, yeah. what, what if what do the Nick Nurse minutes do to him like there's a concern there like Shea was great last season but he also got there by you know, jumping his free throw percentage 10 points and his field goal percentage by seven points does that stick there does yeah. it fall two or three like who knows so there is an argument for any of those I'd say four players to go at number two and I, it's really hard for me to debate any of them that would be the incorrect decision uh, at that spot although if it is a points league I think Luca and Giannis are very clearly ahead of that other group <laughs> So and then the other question that I would have for you, and this is more basic before we move back to like a specific player type or anything, is when trying to assess these very high variance, low volume stats, such as blocks and steals, how much more valuable does that make somebody like a Jaron Jackson, like a Walker Kessler, for instance, that could be stepping into a bigger role this year? in comparison to where one might like assess him in the grand hierarchy of if you were just making a list of the 50 best basketball players in the world, I don't know if you would have Walker Kessler on it, but in fantasy, I would imagine Walker Kessler is like almost certainly a top 50 pick. Right. Yeah. This is part of where the, some issues and another thing I've been really working on this, uh, this off season and preseason is the way that traditional rankings assess value to things they use statistical things like standard scores or z scores yeah. and it that's really should be based on a normal distribution but blocks aren't they're like really highly right. skewed and it gives jaron like jaron jackson according to traditional rankings was like the 11th best player last season which is just not that accurate like i, I don't i don't believe that it's that accurate and kessler's going to go really high but the problem with guys like that is that they have this one really strong category or kessler's actually got like you know two or three with his rebounds blocks and and uh, field goal percentage he's really good at yeah. But he's also terrible at – he doesn't hit any threes. He doesn't get any assists. He doesn't get any steals. He's a terrible free-throw shooter. So 
you run the risk of, and let's try and balance things out by just looking at a pure rankings metric versus, well, what does this guy actually do? He's going to really help in these three areas, but what if he really hurts my team in four or five? So that Mm -hmm. overall number can be skewed because the way that rankings work is they just look at those standard scores of every category and average them out. But if one of them is giving you this huge number and there's a lot of other negatives and that might overpower those negatives and make them look better than they are. So yeah, it's true that, yeah, Jaron and Kessler and like a Claxton look a little bit better in those metrics. It also, um, I think prob- prob- probably, it probably overvalues them somewhat because there are you know, a few of those guys who average those big block numbers. There is the variance associated with it. And if you're just banking on that being the case or thinking you've got that wrapped up, that you know, four other guys in your league might have another guy who blocks two shots like Miles Turner or Claxton or yep. one of these or Wembenyama or Chet can come in and do that. There's just so many of them that that ranking gets uh, pretty skewed. So that's one thing I've been sort of fighting with this offseason is the traditional way of valuing players, especially with those highly skewed stats, maybe overvalues them a little bit. So would you say that you tend to be a little bit more – averse to drafting those guys maybe as highly as they get drafted like if they would fall all of this is on the margins right of course with any yeah, yeah, fantasy yeah. draft like if those guys fall into a more reasonable position for you of course you would take them it's just that you might not take walker kessler at 40 you might take him at 55 if he was to fall to 55 yeah exactly like when things opened up for fantasy this season like jaron was ranked at number 12 on some of the sites okay that's crazy like i'm not taking him in the first round yeah. but now he's fallen back to like 23 or 21 i said okay that's totally okay because he is he can score he can hit threes he's actually pretty good yeah. at getting steals as well he's not a bad free throw shooter he does a few other little things but to base your first round pick on a guy that's going to have this one really good category and everything else is going to be all right. It's not a great way to go about it. So there's not that you don't want them. It's like, I just think that some of those guys were getting overpositioned and overvalued. Whereas I could get Chet Holmgren at pick 60 or whatever, and he might come within 0.3 blocks a game of what Jaron does. Like, I don't know, but he could. And that, so that advantage that he's got gets cut down. You just don't want to go too early on those guys where there is a lot of that skew and a lot of that variance. Is there a specific strategy that you go into a draft with? when you're trying to build your team? Is it dependent on where you're picking? Is it dependent on, uh, do, do you have basically like an overarching philosophy that you're going into your draft this year trying to utilize? It does depend on where you're picking because that's going to, you know, depending on what player you get. So like if you're ending up with Jokic or you're ending up with Shea or you're picking it pick 10 and then you've got, well, what am I going to do Anthony Davis? Or am I going to take Durant? Or am I going to take Lillard? And if you're taking those guys like a Davis or a Durant, you go, well, I understand that there's going to be a risk of some missed games here, so I probably don't want to back them up in round two and three with Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard, knowing that there's risk of those guys missing a bunch of time. So there's a, a fair bit of strategy in terms of how you're combining those players together. Now, you could make an argument that let's take the high-risk guys all together because if they all hit, then I'm going to be really hard to beat. But the likelihood right. of all of that stuff happening is pretty minimal, and that's probably something you'd look at if you're playing in some sort of large field scenario where the chances of you winning are small anyway so you've got to take those swings but if you're just playing a a standard sort of league against 11 mates like that sort of stuff is just harder to harder to make sense and it it really just does depend like what you do in your first pick like you've got Jokic, you've got Shea, you took um Steph whatever it is so you understand where those guys strengths lie after that pick and then you start to just base it on that but you've got to have different ways to approach it as each round goes because so many things can happen in a draft that you've got to be able to adjust. So I don't ever go in with one specific idea or this is what I have to do in every single draft that I'm in. I'm just always looking to 
make adjustments. And if you're ever looking at ways to like differentiate if you're in trouble, like especially in a fantasy points league, the number one correlation between fantasy points and or to get to fantasy points is does the guy get more minutes and does he get more usage? And yeah. it's less it's less so in category leagues, but usually more minutes, more usage, better fantasy producer. So if you're looking at two guys and one guy might be a 23 minute a night player, but he gets a, a lot of blocks or he's got good percentages. There's another guy who's a 33 minute a night player who gets 23 usage. The usage usually wins out in those cases. The next question I want to shift to is just generally the guys that you kind of can't stop drafting. Like, even though, you know, as you said, you have to be flexible, you have to, it's dependent on where you're picking on a number of different factors. I feel like there are always guys in fantasy drafts, especially in fantasy football drafts for me specifically, where I end up with a much higher percentage of them on my team than what I frankly probably should in terms of an exposure mm-hmm. rate. Who are some of the guys this year that you can't stop drafting? Let's just kind of start with one and then we'll kind of talk them through each way. The one that I'm getting quite a bit and people just seem to be very down on him and I understand why it's Jordan Poole. I am just like Jordan Poole played only 30 minutes a game last season. He still had 30% usage. He still averaged like 20 points. He's an unbelievable free throw shooter. He's going to handle the ball a lot in Washington. People go, man, he's trash. He's so bad. Look at how terrible of a player he is. Um, okay, that's great, but he's going to do more. He's going to play more. He's one of the best five free throw shooters in the year. Look, there was a legitimate debate, like should he or Steph be taking tech, technical free throws on the Warriors team? And he's going to get to the line. He's going to take those shots and he's going to do not whatever he wants, but... He's going to have lots of opportunities in Washington, but people are just like, man, the dude's terrible. Like I saw him in the playoffs. He's so trash. That's why their salary dumped him. That's all well and good, but he's going to play in Washington and he's going to have so much opportunity. And honestly, we had a, a you mentioned message me the other day about someone who might be a top 10 or top 12 point scorer. Yeah. Jordan Poole could be a top six scorer in the NBA this season. I'm not saying he's going to be good, but he could. Yeah. he's going to score a ton of points and he's going to do it with pretty good assists and he's going to do it with a pretty good free throw percentage and a lot of attempts. And that's all so valuable. I think the guy that we're going to talk about momentarily, I'll bring him up next because he kind of fits within this conversation Mm. pretty well. I actually think I would bet on that player to be more effective as a scorer this year than Jordan Poole, frankly. Uh, But the Poole thing is fascinating just because Poole's situation is really intriguing. Mm. How much room do you think he has for his usage to go up? He was already playing, like you said, 30 minutes per game. His usage was at like 29% just because he played a lot with bench units, right? Like he carried a lot of Warriors bench units. So the the question that I'm struggling with with Poole a little bit in terms of production, and his production will go up. I think you're 100% right about this. And I think that like I've seen that like he's being drafted like somewhere in the 40s. Does that yeah. seem I get him in, like I get him in the 50s? I think I got him 49 the other day, like the start of round five. Yeah. Yeah. That seems a bit aggressive to me uh, in terms of where he should be taken just because he's going to have so much usage. Like he is, mm. that usage is going to maintain. And I kind of think that like he's going to have, it, I, this is going to sound crazy coming from him playing from the Warriors. 
I wonder if he gets easier shots because they actually start to run stuff for him a little bit more. He's going to like, I don't think the level of defender is going to change all that much for him because again, his usage is incredibly high. He was in those bench units. He was getting the best defender on the court a lot of the time anyway. So with Tyus Jones, with Kyle Kuzma being the central force of that, and then having things run for him while also being an on-ball force. I, I do wonder if it's not necessarily a volume increase. It, it just really could be like they start really running shit for him in a real substantial way. And that, that could lead to easier shots for him. Yeah, I think that that's, I think that's you know, distinctly a possibility. And I've had this discussion with people who would say, like, oh, Tyus Jones is going to really step up now that he's a starter. I go, yeah, but I don't think he's going to run like as a full-time point guard. Jordan Poole's going to initiate most of that stuff. Like when Tyus starts for Memphis, he is the point guard. Like they're not, Desmond Bain's not initiating everything and Jaron Jackson's not running things. When he starts in Washington, Jordan Poole is going to be the guy who's initiating, uh, like let's say 50% of the time, at almost a bare, a bare minimum. Like Jordan Poole is not a catch-and-shoot player who's going to stand on the side. Not that Desmond Bain is necessarily that, but Jordan Poole is definitely more of an on-ball guy than what Bain was for Tyus Jones. So Poole is you know, a shooting guard, but he's going to run well, basically what like how Bradley Beal did it last season where he's the shooting guard, but he's initiating yeah. all of that stuff. Like He's initiating the offense, and Monte Morris was sitting over the side going, what am I doing here? It might not be that extreme, but I do yeah. agree that there is a chance that he's just he's going to have more of that focus on him, but from a not from a defensive point, but from an offensive point, like we're building this around you. Like you do this stuff, you drive, you pick and roll, you set guys up, you do all of this stuff. Is it going to lead to good basketball? I'm not sure. Don't care. It's not really the point. Like he's in a similar way. It's a little analogous to the change in role of Larry Markkinen last season, yeah. where Larry'd never been that level of player. Went to Utah, was the number one guy. Usage way up. Efficiency somehow went up as well, and he was awesome. I don't think Paul's necessarily going to be that, but. As we all know, Sam, someone has to take the shots, and it's not going to be Daniel yeah. Gafford or Denny Avdia. It's going to be Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma. So in that vein, I'm glad that somebody in the YouTube chat here while we're talking brings up Anthony Simons. Poole seems to be going much higher than Anthony Simons. What's the difference between the two upside-wise? This is the player I was talking about yeah, that we is. were referencing. Um, I, I actually do want to hear from you before I kind of explain my – Anthony Simons shtick. Uh, why do you think Jordan Poole is going much higher than Anthony Simons in fantasy drafts? The reason that I am doing, I'm taking Poole higher than Simons is it's about like the way that we work over at Basketball Monster is we project all these guys out and we have to balance everyone's shot attempts, minutes, rebounds, so that it's not like everyone's just taking a million shots. It's all got to make sense within a team structure, team pace, all that sort of stuff. So Poole is going to be with Tyce Jones, a low usage player, Kispert, who's not a high-usage guy at all, uh, Avdia, Gafford. But you go to Portland, and Scoot is not going to be shy, right, with handling the ball. So yeah. not only does yeah, – Poole plays with Tyus Jones, who's going to be off the ball. Scoot is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Um, Jeremy Grant, on a bad team, he's uh, – I wouldn't say he's shy in taking shots. Yeah. Um, DeAndre Ayton definitely wanted to be traded because he wasn't getting enough of the ball, and now he is going to want more of the ball. How do they get enough opportunities for Shaden Sharp if they start him? Now, if they start Matisse Thibel, that helps. But if they start Sharp, yeah. you could have just five above average-ish type usage guys 
all being like, I need the ball, I need the ball, I need the ball. Whereas to me, like the way that the pool structure yeah. is in Washington is there's just a bunch of guys who are like, let me just do defense and you guys do all the offensive stuff. So if Simons was in a spot where Scoot wasn't there, and we've seen it before, when Lillard was injured two years ago, Simons was the point yes. guard and he was awesome. But that's to me, that's not what his situation is this year. Yeah, it's funny. I texted you about Simons previously or prior to the Lillard deal that actually occurred. And I, I was really, really excited about Simons. I was like, you know, thinking that this, I, I thought there was like a real shot that Simons would be like a 27, 28 point per game score, yep. depending on how the other deal went down. Uh, I think he's going to handle the ball a little bit more than what people think. Uh, just because people have this vision of Scoot being dominant on the ball. Scoot, his first year in the G League, like he played with Dyson Daniels, he played with Jaden Hardy, like he was willing to play a little bit more off the ball than what people remember. I'm not saying that, you know, Scoot will have the ball, you know, much more than 50% of the time, but I think Simons will get real on ball reps. He is a ridiculous pull up shooter. With Aiton and now Malcolm Brogdon as well being acquired, part of what my vision was is the Blazers did not have a very deep backcourt and still don't have a very deep backcourt. Like if Malcolm Brogdon was to miss any time whatsoever, there's no one there. Yeah. They, you know, seriously, Skylar Mays and Shaden Sharp are going to be like running real, like backup point guard minutes. And Mm. it's going to be that, or it's just going to be Anthony Simons running. Yeah. I think, it'll, I think it'll just be I, I think it will be Simons in that case. And you're right, their backcourt depth is horrendous. Like there's yeah. there's nobody there. So and how that works out, I I agree that he's gonna have those opportunities, which will be yeah, which will help him for sure. Yeah. I also think he's just better than Jordan Poole, like frankly. I, okay. I kind of think he's just like a better basketball player. Uh his ability to get to his pull up three point shots is obscene. He, his volume on three-pointers has been absolutely obscene. I think what he's really improved the last couple of years is actually the passing and playmaking side. I did not really love him as a passer and playmaker. I would have told you I thought that Jordan Poole was like a way better passer and playmaker than him uh, up until really like last year. And I thought the strides he made last year were much, much better. Now, Brian in the comments brings up Simons' rebounding rate, which is like a real, like just uh, absolute killer. Didn't he average like yeah. 2.7 a game or something? It's something. 2.6 and right. yeah. 0.7 steals. Like he mm. is just not somebody that is going to really impact the stat sheet beyond, you know, field goal percentage, you know, three pointers made, points, etc. Like things of that nature and assists. I think he will help you. And I don't think he will turn the ball over a crazy amount given his usage. Yep. But I think you are right now, given the roster situation, for to draft Jordan Poole ahead of Anthony Simons. I would have said the other way around before the Lillard deal, but okay. I think you are right now, and I think that is like the right the right decision for people to make, like for sure. Yeah, I, I'm pretty firmly on that. And, and look, if Scoot wasn't there and Simons was the point guard, I probably would take Simons ahead. I've seen him do it. Yeah. Like I've seen him put those numbers up. But it's just it is just about like hierarchy and how often you're going to have those chances to have the ball in your hands, and that that helps pull the end. I wonder also with Jordan Poole, is it how much did a the punch and b the way that he got targeted on those carries early in the season, like how much did that like just impact his confidence i i can't say that it didn't like yeah. i think there has to be because he was obviously a significantly better player two years ago and those two things happened and he just seemed like lost for big periods of last season 
Yeah. He he might be in like a real prove it season this mm. year. Oh, like where he wants to come out and just be like, fuck you all. I want to win. Like, yep. I, I think there's like a real, real chance we see that from him. Uh, the next question that I have for you is, you know, we, we just talked about two guys, just another guy that you can't stop drafting basically. Um, there's, there's quite a few that te- end up tending to fall to me. I, sometimes I find Paul George falls quite a bit because there's a, a narrative surrounding the Clippers, Sam, that I think is unfair at times, right? People like Paul George is terrible. He's always hurt. He's sitting out games all the time. And, and that just, it just wasn't true. Like, yes, he got hurt, right? But he didn't, he doesn't just routinely sit out games. He hurt his hamstring, came back too early, hurt it again, and then had that knee go yeah, inside itself at the end of the season. And he's had a lot of injury problems through his career, but, He's also still really, really good, and he's not just sit. Look, he actually people assume that he sits every back to back, which is also just blatantly false. He's had a couple yeah. as he returned from his hamstring injury. He plays these games. He plays big minutes. He handles the ball. He does so much stuff on that team, and he finds falls sometimes into the thirties because people just put him and Kawhi together and go to the Clippers. They're never going to play. They're always out, and it's just I don't know. It's just that narrative destroys the the reality of what is actually the situation. And again, he, he got hurt. I know that, but so does a lot of, so do a lot of guys. And he doesn't have a, an ongoing degenerative problem like Kawhi. And there's a chance that he plays 65. And it's not that he's sitting out every back-to-back because it's just not true. You, just, you can just go look at the numbers. That's pretty clearly there. Yeah. Paul, Paul is interesting just because I thought when he was on the court last year, he was absolutely phenomenal. Hmm. Uh, he, doesn't really hurt you across any number outside of maybe turnovers, I would venture, right? Yeah, he was, he was pretty bad at that last year, I think. Yeah, and I think the year before was, like, disastrous in terms of turnovers, yeah. if I remember correctly. But, like, he's a good passer now. He rebounds. He isn't all that inefficient just because he's so big. And mm. when he gets to the rim, his footwork is just like absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it's one of those guys, that's just like an incredibly aesthetically pleasing player. He's a great shooter. He shoots threes on volume. There's just like a lot of real, I think value to be had there. If you think he's going to play, you know, like you said, 65 games. And now that I have his page up, Oh, by the way, he played 56 last year. That's yeah. like not terrible for a guy that like dealt with a hamstring injury. I, I really think Paul George is probably one of the most underrated players in the league, which is funny because like you would think that Paul George, this guy that has this podcast and is like incredibly in the, you know, ether and in the, you know, in, in being talked about all the time that he wouldn't be underrated. But I think his game is actually like quite underrated. Now, Paul George, when he's on the court is unequivocally like a top like 12 to 15 player in the NBA. Oh, look, he's unreal at what he does, and he's always able to fit in sort of to whatever has needed. Like, you go to OKC and he just does different things versus what he did in Indiana versus what he does in the Clippers. It'd be interesting to see because there was some talk from Tyloo a couple of days ago, and he's like, yeah, talking more about playing Kawhi and and PG at the three and the four. He's like, yeah, they'll play whatever I tell them to play, which I've always been like, just play them there so you can get other better players on the court rather than relying upon whatever Marcus Morris was doing out there last season. So, that could even help as well. You play a little bit closer to the basket. You, um, your efficiency rises up a little bit. You get some other guys with a bit more juice on ball. Norman Powell yep. out on the court as well. Um, that can take a bit of pressure off in that respect. So, the more success he's had has been when he plays up positions from a, a production and a fantasy perspective. And I hope he does a little bit more of that this season. But you're right; he's always underrated because he does get lumped in with Kawhi. And I think some of the Kawhi stuff is really unfair as well. But he gets lumped in with him and. 
And when I get him in the 30s of drafts, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, no, that, that's crazy. I'm just looking here at like a ranking system. Uh, he is in between in one system, Nikola Vucevic and Evan Mobley, like both of whom are just nowhere near as complete. You know, I'll do respect to those guys. Those guys just aren't anywhere near complete in terms of the way that they're going to impact the box score on a night to night basis. Uh, and, you know, oh, by the way, like Evan Mobley is quite skinny and has a chance to miss games. Now, Vooch, mm. Vooch does not really miss games. That's probably the real uh, the real benefit to him. I was, but, I was just talking about Vooch on my show earlier today. Like, he was healthy last season, but remember early in his career, he played like 50 games three or four yeah. times with a lot of lower body injuries. And he's also the only player that I can think of from last season who had exactly the same average of points, rebounds, and assists last season versus this season. Like, ex- <laughs> to one decimal point. No, I know. Exact. Yeah. I, I, when I looked, I go, this, well, hang on, there's something not right here, but the exact. And I think the only difference was his threes were like 1.4 versus 1.3 per game. All these other numbers were like, bang on. It was pretty weird. Yeah, no, Vooch is, Vooch is an interesting player. Uh, mm. I, probably like somewhat underrated just because of like the impact on winning is questionable defensively and everything, but like a really productive and like good player still, despite being a little bit older at this point. Uh, I want to talk about some of the guys that are either younger players, breakout players, returning from injury guys. And I think the biggest one that people are going to have to wrap their head around is probably Victor Wembanyama. How are you evaluating Victor Wembanyama from a fantasy perspective coming into 2023-24? I'm a little surprised, Sam, because I thought when we'd head into this season that people would be super hyped and would start taking him like in the second round or some people would go crazy yeah. and do it at the end of the first round. And I was like, I, I think that I would take him in round four and I don't think I'll end up getting him, but that's where he's going now. And I think that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. My worry for him is I think there's going to be – Obviously, maintenance stuff with the Spurs, which is yeah. fair enough. But I think he might have some efficiency issues. Maybe I'm just reading too yes. much into some of that stuff we saw in Summer League where he was willing to take the shots, but they just weren't falling. And I think that that might be might be a bit of an issue for him uh, early on, that the fewer goal percentage and even the free throws, which in the past he's had some poor free throw seasons. Last season he was good, but the season before I think he was yeah. pretty poor there. That I worry that that overall efficiency, the perhaps cap on games or minutes might – might be a little bit frustrating, um, but yeah, he could he could legitimately average two and a half blocks a game, and yeah, yeah he, he could challenge to lead the league in that category as a rookie. That that's possible as well. He's obviously ridiculous, but people have been more reasonable with picking him than I thought they would be. The big thing for me is, and even the percentages, although you're 100 percent right, the percentages I think are potentially concerning. It's I, I think he's going to turn the ball over quite a bit. Like yeah. he is somebody that wants to you know, face up and drive and face up and try and create shots. And his handle is still quite high. Like just naturally being seven foot four, seven foot five. Uh, he still, he plays with good bend for being that tall, but playing with good bend for being that tall still results in the handle being quite high. And I think he still hasn't quite adjusted yet, at least according to summer league, maybe that has changed over the course of the summer to guys like digging down on his handle and being able to uh, really get into his shit. I feel like every time I talk about a team or a player on my, on my show, I'm talking about guys like, say, Cole Anthony or Emmanuel Quickly or these sort of players, and I was like, man, I'd love for them to go to the Spurs because I want them to have someone who can demand a bit of attention on ball so that he doesn't have to do just tons of dribbling create and just like, can you just throw it up to him? Because that that could be actually impossible to stop. But yeah. Trey Jones is fine. I just don't know that he's that guy, and there's no other sort of – Devin Vassell is 
good. He improved tons as a pick and roll ball handler last season. But there's none. There's not that guy who you just feel good is going to set Victor up every time versus Victor having to create for himself a lot more, which is where I have. I'd probably put him a little bit high if I knew that the point guard situation was. I'd feel a bit more confident in that point guard situation. Which, no offense to Trey, I just don't really think that he's quite that dynamic enough guy to really bring that attention away from Victor and set him up for those easy pick and rolls and and lobs and that sort of stuff. Uh, Next question, Cade Cunningham. Uh, Cade Mm, Cunningham is mm. somebody that is going to have an incredibly high usage in Detroit and is, in my opinion, uh, one of the best prospects in the NBA point blank, as long as he stays healthy. Uh, When he's been on the court in the NBA, the shot has not fallen at a level commensurate with what I expected. How do you look at him entering this season from a fantasy perspective? This is really good, Sam, because I have been in the, I guess, in the fantasy community, always higher on Cade than others. I was pretty high on him last season. Of course, he came out and shot 27% from three in 12 games and it looked bad, but he also averaged 20 and six with six assists. And that's, yeah, that's as a second year guy in, in with a with a busted shin and the shot that didn't fall. I think that he is a guy that you might see go in round three or round four that legitimately has a shot at being a, a first round player because he's I think he's going to score more than twenty points a game. He's going to get rebounds and he's going to get assists. He can get one point two one point three steals, and I do think at some point he's going to be able to shoot and he's going to get to the line and he's already a good very good free throw shooter. I'm not saying he's going to be a 50% shooter but 44, 45, maybe from the field 46, maybe 34 from 3. 24.6 rebounds, 7 assists. Like that's bloody good. I have so much faith in him and he's one of the one of the things that now I'm not as big into the prospect scene as what you are. I lean on you for this stuff quite a bit, but I do research and look at this stuff. And when there's a player that I've heard of for you know 3 years before they enter college, or two years before, and then they do what they do in high school and they do what they do in college and they do what they do as a rookie. That it's hard for me to say, well, yeah, I think this hype is justified. And then he goes to Team USA practice and he does the same stuff. I go, yeah, I've been hearing yeah. about this stuff for years. Same with like with Chet. I've been hearing about that stuff with him doing this stuff for years. So I always put a little bit of extra faith into that stuff. Um, it hasn't worked out 100% for Chet, but not for Chet, for Cade, but I think people are also underrating what he's what he has done so far in his career. I think he's he's only played like 84 games or something in his career. Yeah. And I think that he's um I think he's prime for look, if it doesn't happen this year, maybe I'll just go, well, maybe the shot isn't actually ever going to come around to that level. But I'm pretty I'm pretty big on what's going to happen for him. It's really interesting. Like I think that more than anything, what happened was his like first really I would say it was like five games were not amazing last year. But then if you look at yeah. the six before he got that, hurt. That were awesome. Uh, yeah, they were like incredible. He averaged mm. 23 points, eight rebounds, seven assists, only had three turnovers per game, shot 46% from the field, 30% from three, 86% from the line. Like he was pretty remarkable in those yep. games and got wherever he wanted on the court from a scouting perspective. Like it, it was really, really, really impressive, I thought. So, you know, it was like half the, you know, 12 games or 11 games before he got hurt were good. Half of them were not great it was like a real mix of variance and it seemed like it was getting better more so than it was getting worse as he was adjusting and getting back into game shape and everything. So yeah, I, I think he's going to be really, really good. You brought up the next guy I wanted to talk about within that conversation, which is Chet Holmgren. Uh, Chet Holmgren is somebody that you can envision really in many ways, similar to Victor impacting the game in terms of steals, blocks, rebounds, three point shooting, 
everything like that. I think that it's hard. I think Chet is probably going to be a more impactful player. Maybe not. No, just give me, give me your take on Chet before I like kind of try and parse through mine. A couple of things with Chet is that again, we're all trying to look at situation and schema. I think Chet's got offensive upside and some shooting upside, but he's going to be down that hierarchy because Gideon Shea are going to handle the ball. And Jalen Williams is going to be the next guy. And old mate, Lou Dort's going to, He's going to try and take some shots. He's going to miss most of them, but he's going to take some. He'll, so get, Chet, he'll get to like 11, yeah, again. Yeah, and so Chet's going to be – he's not going to have the offensive opportunities that are afforded to Victor, but this is probably hyperbolic. I'm sure it is, but I'm not saying he's going to be better or even block more shots, but the way that Chet protects the rim and gets into position, I, there's very few people already, I think, that are at that level. His ability to know where to be and just to appear out of nowhere without having – an eight foot wingspan. It's long. It's not Victor's, but he's just always there. Yeah. And he just always knows where to be. And that's just going to, he's just going to luck into two blocks, not luck. He's going to get two blocks a game just because he's always there. He's one of the best positional rim protectors, as well as being stupidly long that I've really seen come into the NBA at, at any point. And I had him projected some pretty high block numbers this season. I, I did turn him down just because it's a rookie, but he had the same block rate as Jaron Jackson in college, but it's also just, you know, watching him at summer league, he's just there. Like he's just whatever position you need to yeah. be. He's on the perimeter. Oh, next minute he's at the rim. You go, how did he get there? Well, he just jumps a half a step ahead of everyone else and he's there. Yes. And that is something yes. that you, you, can't, you can't you can't teach it. And it's going to be one of those things where, you back to what we said earlier, when you watch something, like he might not put up great numbers initially, but you know that he's going to be in the right spot. He's not going to be getting blocks because he's you know, chasing them Hassan Whiteside style. He's going to be doing that because he's in the right position every single time. Yeah, it's processing and anticipation. His anticipation yeah. is better than any big prospect I think I've evaluated yeah. in terms of just knowing where he has to be at all times and getting there a step ahead of everybody else. He he is staggeringly smart and he's tough and he's physical. I think Chet's going to have a monster year. I think he's going to have like a really, really big year. Statistically, like, again, like you said, I don't know. I think Jalen Williams is going to have an enormous year too. And that's probably another guy we should talk about. Like mm. I, I love Josh Giddy. I, I do like, I, this is not dispar- disparaging of Josh Giddy in any way. I mean it more as an encouragement of Jalen Williams. What I'm about to say, I think Jalen is the number two guy there uh, is like this year. I think Jalen is the number two guy there. It's kind of where I'm at on this. Just the, the physicality, the ability to score, mm. The passing, like he is a, in my opinion, a more complete player than Josh is right now, even though Josh's passing and playmaking is like unbelievably incredible. I think what would be fair to say, so I'm sort of with you on that. I'm probably a little bit, and I, and I really like Josh as a player. He's still not, what, did he just yeah. turn 21 or he's really close? Like he's unbelievably young still. Yes. He's like yes. the same age as Brandon Miller and the Thompsons, basically. It's like three months or four months different. It's like an insane yep. thing. But, and he's got, he definitely has the outlier single skill between those two. Like he's uh, at, at worst top 10 passer in the NBA. He's got that. Yeah. This is what he's good at. But there are a lot of other holes in, in what he does and how that, we saw Dagnop had no really issue in benching him if he was struggling last season. Like there were games he'd played 28 minutes and he wouldn't close it out because Isaiah Joe was rolling or somebody else was doing stuff yep. and they've got other guys who can handle the ball. Jalen is an interesting player. I, I'm not sure 
Yeah, look, he, maybe he is the number two offensive. Like, does he, do you think he's got that ability to ramp into being over time a, a twenty-six sort of usage player who is like, let's say, Jalen Brown? Do you think he can become yeah. that sort of a guy? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, yeah, I'm not sure yeah. where it goes from there. It, it'll look different than Jalen, mm. but yes, I think he okay. can do that. Uh, his ability to play in ball screens, his strength is just like ridiculous. Like yeah, he looks he bigger is just, as well this year too. For for being as six foot six, seven foot two wingspan, and like having that real level of physicality, like I was just going through, like watching clips. Like I was watching Devin Vassell clips to write this thing I wrote yesterday on Vassell, and like Vassell had to guard Jalen Williams multiple times last year. Mm. And when Jalen Williams got Vassell on his back, he had no fucking shot in ball screens. And I, I think Vassell is like a slightly like overrated defender in comparison to like, he had this incredible reputation coming into the NBA and it's been like, okay, so far he's a great team defender, but there are like real on ball warts that need mm-hmm. to work themselves out. Uh, the way that Jalen just like absolutely can get to his spots through playing with real tempo, real pace, he has like pretty swivelly hips. It's almost going to be, and I'm not saying he's going to be as good as this guy. I just want to like be clear about that before I say this. I think stylistically, it's going to look a little bit more similar to what like Jimmy Butler does okay. than Jalen Brown. And like maybe like more similar statistically to like what Jalen. Uh, well, it'll be like, honestly, it's, it's going to be like a slightly lesser like Jimmy Butler, I think. Jalen okay. Williams. Like I think he's going to be that good. Interesting. I have to look reassess where I am with him because obviously he was a, an older prospect coming in. He yeah. really turned it up at the second half of last season. It's sort of just how it all fits together in Oklahoma City. And I'm always have. I know that um, you know, Kevin Pelton did some work on this a while ago, talking about rookies and the impact of looking at their second half of the season versus the first half. And he found that the actual whole season statistics were more predictive than your post all-star break where a lot of people go, well, look at the, yeah. look at the improvement, yeah. look how well he's gone. And then the next season it, it comes back to earth. So in Jalen's numbers all went obviously crazy in that second half of the season, mm-hmm. he started shooting what 43% from three and his two point percentage was out of control. He's like 54 from the field overall. And he was averaging the most steals out of anybody in the NBA. And I so always have that from KP in my head going, yeah, but that isn't predictive necessarily of how things go as we move forward. So, that's why he's going to be one of the more interesting players, I think, to watch this season to see which one is or what is really. Is that just the trajectory or does it pull back a little bit from that? How does he fit yeah. in with with Chet on that team now? I've said since he was drafted that he's going to replace Lou Dort really quickly on this squad. Um, didn't He didn't have to. He just played next to him last season. But overall, I think that, that yeah. Yeah, he is going to lock in as a long-term starter there. Yeah, and then they drafted Case and Wallace to replace mm. Lou Dort. Basically, mm-hmm. I, I think I think Jalen is basically just going to be like their, like I said, like I think he's going to be their number two. I think he's, yeah. I, I think the, and this is again, like I don't mean that as shots at Josh Giddy. I mean that as like I think the world of Jalen Williams as a player. Yeah, uh, I, I think he's going to be like an all star, like sooner, like within the next like maybe mm. three years, like we'll be an all star. Yeah, that's it. That's um, he, he was. He was great. I'm, I'm not quite there on him, but yeah, hey, that's what I want to see this season. I'd be really interested to see KP's numbers on that because I would imagine like a big piece of that noise is like guys coming in and getting just a lot of like garbage timey minutes near the end of the yeah. year as rookies. I'd be interested to see what they are for teams that are competing. I have, and, like, check with, I have to check with him because I know he did – this was like three or four years ago that I think he did it. So yeah. I don't know if he's done any updates on it or or how he was looking at that. But I, I he definitely did it a, a few years ago. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, two more guys that I want to talk about just in terms of their overall projection. Scoot Henderson is obviously one. Uh, mm-hmm. Scoot is someone that a lot of people are just very, very excited about. Where do you assess Scoot coming into this season? Um, I'm excited that he's going to have the ball uh, in his hands quite a bit. He's going to start. He's going to get good minutes. I think that he's relentless sort of nature in terms of driving and getting into the paint is going to open things up a lot for that team because you know, Lillard is obviously a legend, but his strength was never you know, driving and dishing and putting pressure on the mm-hmm. rim that way. I think that like a majority of rookie point guards that there's going to be some significant um, efficiency issues. I'm not sure there's going to be like, you know, I'm always going to bring up the Darius Garland example. He sucked, right? He was so bad as a rookie, but he got those opportunities. He got those reps. Jaden Ivey was pretty bad most of last season. Scoot's on a different level to these players, but he's not someone who had elite efficiency at a G League level. He didn't even get to the line a ton at the G League. He didn't shoot like 85% from the line. So Tied all those things in where there's going to be some turnover issues, there's going to be some efficiency issues probably from field and from the line, and just learning stuff as a rookie, even though he's got a head start having been a pro for two years, that I, I think that there is going to be some some big nights and there's going to be some nights where you know, it's a four of 15 shooting sort of performance and he goes four of seven from the line for yeah, 12 points. You go, oh, what's going on here? Which is pretty common for rookie point guards. Like That's just that's just what they do. What was what was John Morant like as a rookie uh, for fantasy? Um, John Morant has in a category league for fantasy has never been particularly strong because he's yeah. so low, low steals, low threes, low free throw percentage, and in the past had been poor with his field goals. I don't know if he's ever been in a category league a top fifty player because he just yeah. lacks in so many areas. I'm just going to look at him as a rookie. This is. What year was Jar rookie? 2019, wasn't it? He averaged 2019 20, I believe. Yeah, so he wasn't bad. He was like, it was outside the top 50. He shot 48 from the field as a rookie. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, 34 from three, but he didn't take any of them. 18 and seven with under a steal a game, 78 from the line, which has gotten worse over. That was his best ever season of shooting free throws as well. Yeah. Jar. So I guess that's a reasonable facsimile, although I don't imagine Scoot's going to be a 48% shooter. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I think it's probably going to be something like that, maybe more like 16, 7, and, you know, shoots 44% from the field, maybe yeah. maybe 45, something like that. Not not a crazy amount of threes, but that, that's kind of where I'm sitting on Scoot right now. Uh, the last two guys are the Thompson Twins. Yeah, okay. I'm pretty excited to see what they can do because um, – yeah. So we had fantasy lot- particularly, their defensive oh, yeah. numbers have a chance, I think, to like kind of blow some things out of the water. So when I do this stuff in the offseason, I go through and look at all the rookies and we have I have translation algorithms for all the stats, but I've got no idea about over time. Elite. Like, how the hell can I project this stuff? So I tried to be as aggressive in toning, <laughs> toning it down as possible because he was averaging like three and a half steals and two blocks. It's like, what is going on in this league? These numbers are crazy. And you go, okay, well, there's no way that's real because he was coming out as like the best. It was Victor and then it was those two very clearly as the number yeah. two and number three guys from a fantasy perspective. Go, but I don't know how to trust this. And then you go out and watch Summer League and you go, oh, you know, they're actually just doing the exact same thing and everything is happening the same way that it did at Overtime Elite. You've got, who was the bloke that, I mean, when a block, vertical, just straight up jumping, blocking Ibu Baji at the rim when he hurt his yeah. ankle in that first game. You go, yes. wow, what is, what is going on here? And Asai just did it every single game as well. And you go, okay, so maybe those numbers, while inflated, they weren't fake. That is just what they do. They 
know where to be offensively and defensively. They're in control and calm. They pass, they rebound, they defer, they do, they take things up a notch if needed to be. And I just wish that we had a more clearer path, especially for a men, to minutes. Uh, there is a lot of talk coming out at the moment, Sam, of Asar beginning the season as a starter for Detroit. Um, the spacing might be a little iffy if, if that's the case, but um, yeah. I'm pretty excited to see where he can. Look, he might be a guy that, you know, not peak because he's not this player, but the way that Andre Iguodala would be able to contribute everything across that's the board. That's always, always been my comparison for Asar. So not even I not, feel, not even style. Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, yeah. um, but like Denver and Golden State, the guy that gives you 12, yep. 5, 6, 1.7 and a block a game, albeit with some iffy shooting numbers. Um, but they have the chance that if they turn to even average shooters to be like legitimate, not game breakers in fantasy, but pretty close to it. Yeah, no, I, I like the Iguodala comparison a lot. I'm glad you brought that one up. That's always the thing that stood out for me watching him. Athletically, I think people forget how insane mm. Iguodala was athletically when he was younger. It was very mm. similar to the Thompson. It, like, maybe not quite as twitchy as a man is, but like very similar in terms of explosiveness and like power as what Asar has. Uh, the last question I have for you is just guys that you're maybe not drafting a lot of guys that you find yourself to be a little bit lower on than others um well one of them is vooch that we mentioned earlier i just what he did last season was was fine but he also saw a drop in usage he played 30 minutes a night for the last what six weeks of the season and the only reason he was able to maintain numbers is his true shooting jumped up like seven percentage points and i'm not sure i want to bank on that for a 33 year old center who at times has been athletically challenged and is consistently going to be the third offensive option on that team. So I'm just not, it's really hard to bank on a 33 year old to continue to do that or to even improve. And he's going Mm. as if he's going to do the exact same thing year on year. It's not that I think that Andre Drummond's coming for his job or anything like that. It's just that age hits people. Yeah. Something happens and there is a drop off in some respect. And if he doesn't get 11 rebounds a game and he gets 10 because he's just lost half a step, well then, you're already drafting him too high at that spot. So he's someone that I'm generally um, avoiding. Um, I think someone that I'm not I'm avoiding, but in a lot of situations, Anthony Edwards is going too high in a lot of fantasy drafts because mm-hmm. World, Cup, World Cup bump is one of them. He, we, all, we know, Sam, that he's like this media like legend. Like whatever he says, it's funny. It's engaging. Everyone loves the bloke. Like he's just amazing when you hear him talk, but people then conflate that to, well, he's the next superstar and he's the next guy that's going to carry everything. But yeah. He hasn't necessarily, like from a fantasy point of view, he's been nowhere near that. Like he's never been yeah. a top 40 guy, I don't think. And the free throws aren't elite. His field goal percentage is all right, but it's not elite. How does he get more shots when you're going to have more than 20 games from Towns this season? I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Does he turn into a more of a playmaker or less because now Conley's there full time? I, I, I'm not sure. We're just banking in this gigantic rise in him and the path to it doesn't seem as clear as maybe it should yeah i've been really interested to see him in the first round even in some places like yeah i've, I've seen it like 11 yeah. 12 right like something yep. like that yep yeah like i i just i love anthony edwards i think he's gonna be like super super impactful and he's like very clearly the guy there in minnesota now yep i just like how good his like what has devin booker's best season been in fantasy so far yeah, I don't think he's ever been a top 12 or 13 guy. I was just talking about Booker today. And Booker's also had a season where he averaged six and a half assists, and I'm not sure that Ant yeah. is is that guy either. No, that, that's the big difference. He's not there yet. So, like, the fact mm. that Booker 
has never cracked that level and people are projecting Anthony Edwards to be at that level is very interesting to me. And I don't totally get it just because Booker had a season where he was as high usage as Edwards projects to be. He's had multiple seasons like that Mm -hmm. and just had a more well-rounded game uh, in total. And like, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's really, really interesting to see where that's going to go. There's just a lot of hype with Edwards got hyped a little bit last season as well. Some people were taking him in, in the twenties or even at like 17, 18. And that obviously didn't, he's still really good, but it didn't pan out to that yeah. same level. And it's like, where is the step? Does he get more usage? Does he become a better free throw shooter? Like I'm, I don't know. He might, but well, like, not, I don't know about it though. I'm just kind of looking through like, you know, a few rankings while we're talking here. Right. Uh, it, I, I don't really know what the case is to have him ranked ahead of LaMelo Ball. Oh, like, under no circumstance would I take um, him ahead of LaMelo Ball. There's, there's no chance. But there is people, there's there's always weird things that get chucked around. It's like, well, LaMelo Ball's injured all the time. Um, his brother's got bad knees, so therefore it's an injury genetic thing. Like, hey, bro, he played 75 games a year ago. Like, I, he was all right. Like, it was just some shitty luck where he stepped on a fan in that second injury. And then he came back and that same ankle was injured because he came back too early as everyone does from ankle sprains. He does have it. He he played 75 games in year two and he was awesome. And LaMelo has that ability to get eight assists a game and Edwards doesn't. And that's a big differentiator. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Like I'm really, really struggling with the idea of like, I would think LaMelo is right around a borderline first round pick because if only because like he's a slightly lesser version from a fantasy perspective because of the efficiency of Tyrese Halliburton yeah Lamelo's is going in most drafts that I'm doing around eight or nine now which I think is, is yeah. reasonable he started off at like 15 16 which was pretty silly yeah that's crazy uh Josh do you have any other like strong opinions uh any any other things you want to talk about with fantasy basketball before we get out of here um I, I just my major thing that I've been focusing on is a lot of this variance idea and people getting so super – the draft is really fun in fantasy, but if you have a good draft or a bad draft, you can still you can still recover. You can still do a lot of things, and it's not the be-all yeah. and end-all of your season. So just always got to be active and ready and understanding the way that things are going without being overly reactive on the players that you have but ready to make moves on the guys that you don't have. I think that's one of those things. People will be – this guy's shooting trash. I'm getting rid of him. He's the worst player ever. And it was a two-game cold streak. Yeah, being having patience in that, but also understanding where the winds have changed. Like last season, as soon as Jalen Williams entered the starting lineup, I was like, oh, let's grab him. Let's see what happens. It didn't work for the first month or so, but we we make those moves. Walker Kessler is now starting. Grab him immediately. You know, Mark Williams is back in the rotation and he's playing 21 a night. Let's see what happens because he's going to get this job really soon. And being ready to make those moves can change things around pretty quickly. Yeah. Awesome. Josh, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people about Basketball Monster, Locked on Fantasy, everything that you're doing uh, in your career. Okay, so I host the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast. It's on YouTube. You can find the podcast for it in all your podcast things. And we're doing just tons of stuff, probably two shows a day at the moment, mock drafts and ranking debates all the way up to the season. And we do shows every day uh, during the season talking about what happened and ways that we can action that for your fantasy team. For Basketball Monster, it's a fantasy basketball website. I project out every all 500 plus players uh, in the NBA for the season every single day as well. 
with minutes and you know, suggestions for your team, and it's all customizable based on your league and your settings so you can see how the players play out and analyze your team and make trades and all that sort of stuff. So it's basically just a fantasy basketball website where you can go in and just uh, yeah make your team better, which is the idea. Truly, it is the most beautiful, like, lo-fi, like, website <laughs> on the planet. Uh, it looks like it has not been updated since, like, probably 2010 uh, in terms of technology. And Sounds it is right. the best, like, mix of information that you will find on the internet. Like, point yeah. blank. You got to like you got to like looking at spreadsheets and tables of data. It's not going to be like flashy <laughs> pictures of players or anything like that. Like I don't run any of the tech stuff for it. Like I I work there and I handle the projections and stuff. But we don't really need to change too much of that stuff. It it works. But there's a there's a lot of numbers on there. Yeah, it's great. It is a fantastic website. Go help Josh out. Go subscribe. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember rate, review, subscribe to everything you can to support the show. I have written way too many words this week it's like over the last seven days i've written like twenty-five thousand words i wrote on the nbl guys recently uh their nba draft prospects i wrote about the lillard deal i wrote about the drew holiday deal i wrote about potential malcolm brogdon you know situations for a trade if that was to occur and as i talked about on the previous show i think that there's like a good chance it doesn't occur but nonetheless is worth talking about because i think that they're like at least a little bit open to it. Um, and then today I wrote about Devin Vassell's extension and why that's just like $135 million is the new normal for guys like mm. Devin Vassell in the NBA at this point, And people are going to have to get used to it. So broke down Devin's game, really dove deep into everything in regard to his uh, ability to improve and what he projects as moving forward. So go read that. Uh, until next time though, we will talk soon. Bye. Bye.